Welcome back, everybody, to 18 in Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. My name is Jeff Newser here along with my co-host, Seth Colin. And, Seth, um, i got to imagine, uh, you know, the, the, everybody's sort of talking about the Pac-12 being down, the Pac-12 not winning games out of conference, and there is no sort of bigger poster child for that right now than Washington, your favorite team. Even oh, sort come of, on. I know, I know. But so close yet so far. Marquette, Duke, out in uh, out in uh, out in New York, close loss to Marquette. Sort of a it seemed like a Marquette hangover slash Duke intimidation factor at the beginning of the Duke game, and then sort of came back, but never could really get over the hump. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, they, you know, they, so they're four and four, which is you know not good. Uh, but the you know the Nevada game, which they lost in overtime, and it went to overtime only on like a fluke three pointer, basically. And in the Marquette game, they were ahead with 10 seconds left or something like that. So, you know, coming into the Duke game, you're, they were, Bromar was trying to pump up this idea that they're two possessions away from being five and one. And they just, I don't know, you know, Duke, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things where you can say they were intimidated. You can say they came out flat. You can say, you know, you can say whatever you want. But basically it was they had open shots and the open shots did not go in the basket. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, you can say that there's a reason for that, or you could just say that it's chaos theory. But uh, the, they, they just couldn't hit shots from outside early in the game, and the, and and really they just gave the offense over to Tony Roten, who um, had his most impressive game for sure. If there was one bright spot to that loss, it was the fact that Tony Roten was able to get to the rim pretty much at will against Duke, and uh, and um, and he really kept them in that game. Um, uh, and then at the end, they finally did start hitting shots, and they got it relatively close because I think they were down. I believe it was thirty to thirteen at one point. I mean, it was pretty bad, but they came back and, and made it respectable. And you felt like, hey, you know, it, again, once again, you know, they played a really high caliber team, and they seemed to pretty much play with them, just like last year in the tournament against North Carolina. But in you know, they just couldn't quite do it. So. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, another loss for the team for the conference against ranked teams. I think zero and nine now, and uh, and well, you know, sorry everyone in the conference, we did our best, <laughs> but it just didn't happen. And then Marquette yeah. game too, you know, it was, it was you know they they played they played. Oh, and the other thing that happened in the Duke game was Aziz Enjai, who is their really their only true post, uh, went down with an apparent knee injury. Um, and luckily, happily for everyone, the MRI is was negative, and he doesn't have any ligament damage, but he has a sprain, so he's out for the next three games. Um, which you know they're they're playing UC Santa Barbara Friday, which is a pretty good mid-major team, but I mean it shouldn't really hurt them. He's trying to get back for Pac-10 play, but that was a scary moment as well because he's. I mean they they don't really they're gonna have to play with four guards in the lineup because they just don't really have. All their big men are way too young. Yeah, it's you know it's it's funny when when people go looking for explanations such as flat or intimidated or whatever. I think I think what I think what sort of feeds that or fuels that is when you know you talked about missing shots early. What fuels that is is when you know you get open shots and you don't knock them down. It's one thing if the guys taking the open shots are are sort of the guys that the defense would desire to take the open shots. Um, it's different when it's guys like Terrence Ross and, and CJ Wilcox, you know, missing wide open shots and, and missing yeah. them 
badly, you know. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, there were some almost air balls by those guys, which you don't expect. Yeah, and so that's the part I think where people start going, okay, well, were they were they intimidated? Were they, you know, were they as they hung over from losing Marquette? Were they, you know, figuratively speaking, hung over spent, for other reasons? But you know what I mean, or hung over for other reasons? Four days up. in New York City, who knows? Yes, they spent but, the whole yeah. week in New York. So, um, but yeah, it's you know, it's I don't know, it's tough, and the, the hard part is you know with Washington, and this is sort of the case with you know with the entire conference and and. You know, you mentioned that they're they're zero and nine against against the top twenty five, and you know, and, and you know, Kevin Pelton, our friend Kevin Pelton from a Basketball Prospectus, you know, tweeted out, you know, well, look at how many losses there are total in the top twenty five, and you know, he does sort of have a fair point there, but at the same time, it, it's it, it's it, you know, you get to a point where you've got to get something, and one of the other things he he tweeted was, well, the good news is there's no more you know Dukes and Marquettes left on the schedule, and I'm like, well, that's that's the good news and that's the bad news, right? You know, is that that that's sort of the issue with the conference going forward is you you've got a situation where there aren't any wins, where right. there, there's not and there's not really any opportunity to pick up any wins going any quality wins that are going to impress people going forward as you get to conference play. Now you're going to start beating each other and unless unless you get a handful three or four teams that really sort of separate themselves and look impressive doing it you're gonna have a tough time you know making sort of any sort of a mark um you know in in the eyes of the committee it's just gonna look like crappy teams beating up on each other like a typical mid-major which is sort of hard to say but at the same time you know one thing we were looking at before we got on the air was um looking at Ken Pomeroy's rankings, you know, his ra- his rating system. And for the first time that I can remember since about 2004, um, the Pac-12 is rated as not one of the top six conferences. Um, it actually has dropped down to seventh, just ever so slightly a hair below the Mountain West. But you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot, it seems a lot like last year, but now you've got Utah's, uh, absurdly low ranking sort of dragging it down. I think that's mostly what dragged them out of the top six, but still, I mean, it's, we're going on now the third year where, uh, the Pac-12 is, is pretty clearly the, the lowest rated and, and worst conference. And I don't know, that's, that's sort of a weird thing, cause this year was supposed to, you know, maybe they were, they were gonna bounce back a little bit, and, uh, you know, nobody ever thought, I think, that we'd feel like 2009 again, but that, that seems sort of where we're headed. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think if you, if you take the long view, and you do look at, at Pomeroy's rankings, and I think, and also just how, you know, the conference was perceived in 2008 and 2009, um, you know, it was considered one of the best conferences in the country, one of the top top conference, conferences in the country. Um, 2010, uh, I think it was 2010, was like number one or number two, and 2009 was number one or number two. So you kind of expect that, you know, there's going to be a drop-off. You're just going to have a lot of those guys who, we're good. Are going to graduate, or they're going to go somewhere else, or whatever. And then you're going to clear space for the younger generation, and and that seems to be kind of what's happening. I mean, most of the good players in the league are younger players or underclassmen. Um, you know, it doesn't help that what most of the Pac-12, all Pac-12 team left, and now Reese Nelson is gone. But um, but it's a young league, and it's going to you know young players are going to struggle against you know more advanced players from other conferences. So um, I think it's, I mean, I think it's going to be, it's, it really is sort of another development year, but it's sort of what you'd expect. You've got a lot of good sophomores, which is what kind of would make sense after being, 
uh, you know, good, really, really good for a couple of years. Well, and I think, you know, the main issue is you look at the, the all conference team where all those guys left. They left from, they didn't leave from great teams. They left from so so teams, you know, yeah. who, for the most part, I mean, I'm not, you know, obviously there were four teams in the tournament last year, but none of them could be, you know, none of them could be considered dominant. And that's, that's sort of the difficulty. And then you look at, you know, if you look at his rating system, his top two conferences are the Big Ten and the Big 12. And I think that speaks to your argument of experience. Those are conferences that had, you know, lots of really good players return, um, from teams that were already pretty good. And, and so there, those teams are making moves. You know, when you look at the top of, of the, of the Pac-12, you know, uh, you know, Washington obviously lost some really important pieces. Arizona lost the most important piece in the conference. Washington State lost, you know, a lot. So you look at a lot of these teams that, that lost a lot and then you look at teams that maybe didn't lose as much but but are getting older and they're maybe not performing as well as we, I mean Stanford is you know they haven't really played much of anybody but Stanford is other than you know they played Syracuse which you know they look good in that one so there's really not much else you could ask for there but you know Oregon State Oregon um, you know those two teams maybe you know, Oregon State has been has been good, but suffered a not very good loss to Idaho last week, which could be at least somewhat excused, I think, because um, the death of the football player, who was uh, apparently friendly with um, a number of the basketball players, including Jared Cunningham. Um, so condolences out to them. But it's you know, so so I guess maybe they could be excused for a bit of a flat performance at home um, to Idaho. You know, it's uh, I've spent a fair amount of time you know, athletic departments and most of these players spend a lot of time around each other. They know each other they're in the weight room together. They're, you know, they eat together. You know, it's, they're, they're very friendly with each other. It's, it's basically like their own sort of little fraternity. And, um, I can imagine that would be, that'd be pretty tough for them. So. Yeah, I guess Cunningham and, and Fred Thompson was the name of the player who died and he was, I guess they were close friends and knew each other from Oakland and, and Cunningham, yeah, it was over nine in the game. So, um, that's a kind of, I don't know. That's whatever. It's it is what it is. Um, but here's one other one other sad factoid. Just clicking around, and not only have the have the Pac-10 not beat anyone in the top 25, they have not beat anyone. This is the AP top 25 I'm looking at. They have not beat anyone who is receiving votes for the top 25. <laughs> the best win is Texas, who recorded, you know, any of these other guys. But yeah, none of these guys are in. The, none of these guys are even receiving votes. So that's kind of a bummer. But, I mean, I think, you know, you'll see, It's you know, in a way it's a fluke. I mean, obviously, like, the Huskies losing such a close game. You know, Cal or Stanford pretty much had Syracuse closed out. And, well, I wouldn't say quite that, but they had a lead late in that game that they lost. And so, but, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it really, really tough for any teams that are sort of on the bubble Ben Howland's already come out and said the only way we can make the conference tournament is or the NCAA tournament is to win the conference tournament. So he's already just basically said, you know, we're playing for seeding in the conference tournament now. And uh, and um, you know, for any of these teams that are sort of on on the bubble, you know, you're probably going to need what would you say like 14, 13, 14 conference wins, no matter who you are in. I mean, you know, maybe Oregon State, Stanford, actually even Oregon State, Stanford, they haven't beaten anybody. Yeah, I think you're, I think really at this point, you're looking at, you know, if you win the regular season, you're in. If you win the conference tournament, obviously you're in. Um, right. 
if I think the conference's worst nightmare is that the same team wins both of them. <laughs> I don't well, honestly. I mean, this you know, there's uh, there's uh, I think a reasonably strong case to be made that we're dealing with a you know, if if things sort of fall the wrong way, we're dealing with a one bid league. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's completely out of the question. I mean, it seems it seems absurd, and and I know we talked about that you know two years ago where we were, we were kind of like, well, you know, this could happen, and uh, yeah. but you know, ultimately. Ultimately, it seems like it always doesn't, but at the same time, it's um, the, the perceived strength of the conference. And like I said, you know, we we talked about, you know, back in two thousand and four, um, you know, Stanford was, you know, thirty and whatever, spent thirty and two, I think, thirty and one going to the tournament, spent, you know, a good portion of the year ranked uh, number one. But you know, according to Pomeroy's rating system, they were only the ninth best conference that year but the problem is perception you know they ended up i think getting four teams in the tournament that year mm-hmm. um you know the, this year i think you know there's so much more um you know the prevalence of the internet the prevalence of blogs and so many more games are on television yeah. that you know it's it, and i think there's also you know i, I think the you know the mid-major um you know the the mid major strength, the strength of mid major teams, I think, is is better than it was. And, and now that I'm looking back at 2004, yeah. by the way, three teams got in. It was uh, Stanford, UW, and Arizona. Um, and Stanford was a one seed. Washington was an eight seed. And I believe that was wasn't that sort of the incredible comeback run? Yeah, that was the year where Robinson were, and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. They had beat beat Stanford, and they had this huge run where they right. won. I don't know what it was, like ten or something games in a row, and uh, and managed to just, yeah, barely obviously get in the tournament as an eight seed, and Arizona being nine seed were probably both of them right right there on the bubble. So, yeah, and Arizona was was sort of doing their, uh, you know, we've been in the tournament, you know, whatever twenty straight years or or something like that. But the one thing yeah, yeah. that, and that was, and this was this this is the difference, you know, Arizona that year um, had one non conference loss, you know, and that was at a neutral site to a. Um, very good Florida team. So, you know, that's you sort of if you can avoid the bad losses, even if you're not impressive, you can do something. But, you know, this year for whatever reason, bad losses seem to be um, somewhat contagious. They seem to have they seem to have sort of tailed off a little bit. But you yeah. know, it doesn't, it doesn't help when you get you know a team like Utah, which is you know perhaps the worst major conference team, maybe of all time. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, uh, that's they're what the worst. Starting to say. Yeah, they're the worst major conference team, certainly of Pomeroy's ratings, which go back, you know, to 2003. Um, you know, I, I don't have any kind of a context for all of college basketball yeah. history, so um, <laughs> I'm clearly not old enough for that. But I, yeah. I also uh, I also know that um, they're really bad, really, yeah. really, really mm-hmm. bad. So, um, you know, that that sort of thing, that sort of stuff doesn't help. Um, yeah. So, anyway. Well, did you catch any games this week? I did. You know, I watched. Uh, you know, I watched the second half of uh, of Arizona, Florida. Very impressed by what Arizona is doing right now. Um, Sean Miller, I think, just continues to bolster his case for um, being one of the best coaches in the. In, you know, in the certainly in the Pac-12 and maybe even in the country. Um, especially um, getting. I don't know. I don't know. Was Josiah Turner? Was he just suspended? Or was he kicked off the team? Or no, benched? I think he I think he was just suspended. Yeah, I think he was just suspended, but I think it was one of these indefinite suspensions. But, man, Nick Johnson, huh? Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. He's good. I mean, he's just stepped right in, and he just looks like – I think he's one of the best players in the conference, period. 
So Arizona suspends their all-everything freshman point guard who uh, is playing – you know, to put it mildly, playing poorly. You know, we were we were sort of picking on Tony Roten a little bit. I like to pick on Tony Roten a little bit sometimes, <laughs> but I know, and I'll I will get definitely give him his due for Duke. Man, he was he was very good in that game, um, especially in the second half. He they they turned to him and he was able to get to the rim um, with impunity, as they say. But uh, Josiah Turner, you know his you know his offensive rating is eighty five. You know, and again, it's you know he's he's drawn fouls, but he's you know missing. He was he was missing some free throws and he was turning the ball over a bunch and not getting any assists and basically just I mean his effective field goal percentage was um, 40.9 which in case you didn't know is really terrible <laughs> um, so you know it's it's just sort of you know he wasn't really bringing anything and so in steps you know this this other freshman <laughs> it's like the other guy and uh, and all of a sudden he's like he's he's just playing great and so, um, you know, really impressive, really seems like a really savvy move from Sean Miller. I was impressed with the way they hung with Florida, especially, and I guess this is, this is the most important thing to me. Um, you know, we know Arizona is really small, especially up front, and we know Florida is really big, especially with Patrick Young, and yet they were able to really hold their, hold their own inside. They were able to create some mismatches. Jesse Perry, who hadn't hit like, more than I think 25% of his threes all of a sudden hits a few threes, uh, you know, drawing, drawing, you know, the other team's big out of, out of the paint. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's somehow, some way they're able to cope with, um, just being really small and, and, and it's working. And, and so, and then they went and annihilated Clemson. Well, not really annihilated, but, you know, beat Clemson handily at home, um, which I did was going to try to watch that. It's still sitting on my DVR. Didn't get a chance to, but um, yeah, you know, impressed with what, you know, Arizona's doing. And, you know, after losing by four to San Diego state, you know, they picked up a nice win at on the road against New Mexico state. New Mexico state's actually pretty good. Um, slapped around Northern Arizona, overtime loss to Florida, beat Clemson pretty good. They've got a chance on Saturday to pick up a good win, uh, although it doesn't look as good as it would have a week ago. Um, they played Gonzaga up here in Seattle um, in the battle in Seattle at Key Arena. Um, so that's an opportunity to pick up a quality win. Gonzaga's oh, is that on win. Saturday? Shoot, I didn't know that. That is on Saturday. Yep. Gonzaga is going to win a ton of games in conference, so I'm sure they'll end up back in the tw- top 25 at some point. So, mm-hmm. um, But they – yeah, it's I I think that that was sort of stuck out to me was Arizona seems to be getting a lot better. So Yeah. Yeah, once again. I mean, you know, I really like Nick Johnson. He just he, I get he wasn't uh as big of a recruit for whatever reason, but he's got sort of like a and maybe they, you know, because the recruitings are based more on, you know, pro potential or whatever, but you know, he's got for a freshman, he's got definitely like a well-developed like college player body for one thing. He just, you know, he's with the ball. He's very confident. He makes good decisions. Um, 18.1% turnover rate, which, I mean, for a freshman playing point guard a lot is kind of amazing. Um, and also nephew of former Sonic, Dennis Johnson. Really? So that's exciting. Indeed, yes. Did not know that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the adding to the Sonic sort of progeny slash descendant slash whatever in the Pac-10 um, uh, so yeah, I mean he's uh, he, I mean he really has been a big I feel like been a pretty big part of that, uh, especially with Turner sort of being. And then the other Arizona school who was supposed to have this highly talented point guard, Jahi Carson for Arizona right. State, 
he is not going to play all year, is it eligible for the year? And I guess it loses a year of eligibility, which I don't quite get, but I didn't look which at the particulars of it. But. He, he actually can get it back. Oh, um, I see. If he, if he remains on track for graduation, then they will sort of retroactively award him a red shirt, which will probably be meaningless because if he's as good as everybody says, then right. he's, he's not sticking around for four more years right. anyway. But right. at the same time, yeah, it is, it is sort of an odd deal. It's, uh, it's definitely the, 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 you know, the, the NCAA has been known to do this before and I'm, I'm drawing a total blank on, on who he did, the, who they did this with, but, um, they did it with somebody from Europe. Europe or a couple of guys from Europe at some point. Well, the, f- there was uh, who was the guy ah from Germany. Anyway, I'm drawing a total blank, but um, there was a guy from Germany who Elias Harris. Um, no, no it was it was somebody else. And I yeah, anyway drawing a total blank. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, yeah, the, the NCAA really has done this sort of weird thing. So you know, kind of their point guard this year, and and and, and carry a heavy load scoring wise, and he's not going to play, and that really. Uh, is a problem for them. Um, I think pretty. Uh, they, they barely snuck by North Dakota State at home. They lost to the same Nevada team. This is just last week. They lost to the same Nevada team that beat the Huskies. They snuck by, barely snuck by North Dakota State. So they did give uh, Herb Sendek a two-year extension, which I think may may be a smart move. Just I mean, he hasn't had a good couple of years, but if they want to kind of keep the con- you know consistency there. Um, then you know maybe giving him the vote of confidence kind of thing and quieting any questions that he might be gone or might be a good idea, but um, it's looking like it's going to be kind of a rough year for them. Yeah, I'm guessing they had they want no part of another coaching search at any. Yeah, point. Right? oh my god, yeah. what a disaster! Given the way the football, <laughs> they, they obviously know their strengths. Coaching searches are not them, so yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, they're they're in the same boat. You know, I mean, they're they're exactly what you're talking about. You know, they're still extraordinarily young. Yeah. Um, you know, they they have essentially no contributing seniors on the roster. Um, you know, they're they're t- of their top five usage players, three are sophomores and two are juniors. So, you know, it's um it's yeah, it's it's a tough deal for them and I and I think to some degree the Carson thing was kinda hanging over their heads. Yeah. Um, you know, they were just sort of waiting for when the news was going to come down, and then and that's kind of hard, you know, when you when you sort of put all your your eggs in that in that guy's basket, and then all of a sudden you're just sort of playing this waiting game, and you know, do you do you do you fashion the team so that it's ready when he comes back? Do you fashion the team as if he's never coming back? Do you, you know, how do you do that? And and I think maybe having some at least some finality moving forward uh, will be beneficial for them. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe let's talk a little bit about interesting games. I guess we kind of touched on, you know, we touched on Arizona Gonzaga. You know, that's yeah, that's that'd be a good one. We'll see. Uh, you know, Gonzaga has uh, much like. Much like Florida, you know, big front line, uh, not as big as, I don't think there's anybody as big as Patrick Young. I mean, that's not even Jared Solinger's as big as Patrick Young, but, um, <laughs> you know, at least, but they've got, you know, um, Elias Harris, who you mentioned, and, and Robert, uh, Sacre, who, um, is seven feet tall, if not the toughest interior player ever. Um, so that, that should but be. But he has least, tattoos. He does. He has lots of them, actually. And he has, and he has pit bulls, which I've heard, so, um, that's, I, I would say I would say that uh, that Friday Friday has a three games that could be sort of interesting for various reasons. So you, Washington and California both have these kind of home games against teams that are not bad. 
Um, California has Weber State, which is which they're six and two, and they're kind of okay. And then and Washington has UC Santa Barbara, which is a probably going to win the Big West. And they have this dude Orlando Johnson, who's really really good scorer. Who's I think he's a senior now, or he's a junior or a senior, but he's been a really good player for them. Um, so that's a game that could potentially drop the Huskies below 500. They should win it. They probably will win it. But um, but that's a little bit of a – could be a tough game. And then Utah has a very critical game on Wednesday or Friday against Idaho State because this is the one Division One team left on their schedule that they should actually or could potentially probably maybe beat. So it would be – Lovely for Utah if they could get that done and avoid being uh, a, a one-win team the rest of the season. Yeah, it's it's one win be, against like a Division two team or something. That, that I'm I'm really interested in that UW game against uh, UC Santa Barbara because um, you know they're not a terrible team and they've got a one they've got one guy who's really good. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, anytime you've got a guy who's really good who can go off, uh, that that poses a problem. And you look at, you know, basically what happened with um, Washington and Nevada uh, with uh, Deontay Burton and what he did down there. Obviously, this game is at home for Washington, which I think ultimately is what puts him over the top in this game. Uh, You know, after after losing, you know, four or three in a row, four out of five, uh, you know, losing to both Marquette and Duke, coming home and then taking a week off for finals, uh, then playing a game against a team that, you know, they'll be like, oh, UC Directional School? That's, you know, no big deal. Um, when actually that UC Directional School is actually pretty good. So I don't know. It, it, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be entertaining. Um, but at the same time, I think I think ultimately Washington's crowd, I think, will end up We'll end up putting them over the top because they'll, they'll. I think they're going to need that that little bit of juice to to get into it, and and I think they'll, I think they'll eventually be able to do it. Um, not, I guess, too much else to talk about. Are there any other games? I think there was. Oh yeah, Oregon, um, Oregon, Virginia. That will be right. Yeah. an interesting game. That's uh, that's out in Eugene. Uh, Tony Bennett. Don't don't tell Washington State fans, but Tony Bennett is actually. Um, put together a pretty good team out there, a young team out there in, in Charlottesville. And so uh, they bring their their slow-down, knock-down, drag-out brand of basketball back west um, to a place that Tony Bennett had some success, but against that, that was against Ernie Kent, of course. So, um, you know, who knows what, what things will be like now. But, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's going to be a chance for – that's going to be another chance for the conference to pick up – some sort of reasonable win, um, you know. Virginia is, is certainly not a world beater, but if they keep if they keep winning, they're going to be in the top twenty five before very long because they play in the ACC and they're you know, ranked twenty eighth now according to the votes. Yeah, so you know they're and, and I think Pomeroy's got right around there too, about twenty five. So um, you know it's a game that I, I would I would think would be more or less a toss up and um, going to be interesting to see if 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 Oregon can can make a statement there with uh with with a little bit of a non-conference thing there. Um I guess only other thing maybe to mention is uh Washington State forward Brock Modem, Pac-12 player of the week, which you know makes yes. of course makes my heart swell with pride. Um 
<laughs> Actually, you know, and it's fairly interesting too. I mean, it's you know, Brock Modem's a guy who um, who I wasn't real high on for quite a while. Uh, he's six foot ten. I think he's probably up to about two hundred and thirty pounds now. It was probably about two hundred pounds when he showed up from Australia. Um, he was sort of a heralded. You know, heralded Tony Bennett recruit, uh, Australian international played in their, on their, you know, their U19 team, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, just frankly was, was not tough inside at all. And, you know, one of the things was uh, his defensive rebounding percentage was hovering around 10 the last two years, which, um, 17 would be average. If you are six foot 10, you should be able, mm-hmm. and 17, by the way, is average like, Average, like average, average, not like mm-hmm. average for a big man. You know, a big man should be pushing, really should be pushing 18, 19. At six foot 10, you should be able to get at least 13 or 14 just by balls falling into your hands, you know. So, <laughs> um, he, you know, it was, it was a little not that tough, but, um, put on some more weight, has, has toughened up a little bit. That, that defensive rebound percentage has gone up. I think he's around, um, 15 now, which is, which is, you know, if you can get 15 out of him, that, that makes me pretty happy. And, and he scored 27 against, uh, against Santa Clara, which in, in the Cougars just complete and total annihilation of Santa Clara. They, they did everything that they wanted to and then some against, uh, against the Broncos, which was sort of strange because Santa Clara, you know, picked up a good win earlier in the year at the uh, the 76 Classic where the Cougars were as well. They just didn't play each other. But Santa Clara beat New Mexico and, you know, looked looked reasonably decent down there. And so to uh, to beat them so handily at home was was actually very nice for me. The interesting thing that people are going to want to want to sort of watch out for with the Cougars is um, right now they're playing without a bunch of guys, um, one of which is Faisal Aiden, who is who is a shooting guard. And, and he tends to sort of make people think he's really awesome with shiny point per game numbers because he'll average, you know, 14, 15, 16 points per game. I think going into conference play last year he was averaging 17 or 18 points a game. Um, he's been out with a concussion and, and, you know, if you talk to any Cougar fan, which, you know, I am obviously, uh, he shoots a lot and they're not always good shots. And that's sort of the, that's sort of the big issue is he dominates the ball and he shoots a lot. And they're not always good shots. And he goes through these streaks where he'll hit a bunch, but he'll miss a bunch. Um, and, and really the whole offense sort of just grinds to a halt when he's in the game. Well, since he's been gone the last three games, um, they, the offense has looked very, very good moving the ball, uh, you know, getting easy looks, Brock modem. That's sort of his strength is he is really excellent moving off the ball. He'll get a lot of, um, he'll get some layups, you know, just from making a nice cut, get a nice pass from a guard. And that, that's sort of what's missing when Aiden's in the game is, and, and he was playing a ton of minutes. When he's in the game, he dominates the ball, not a great passer. Um, just sort of the, the proverbial, you know, YMCA black hole, you know, more or less. So, so fans might do well to, to sort of, if you want to be a savvy fan and you get to watch, you know, Washington State sort of watch what, um, what Aiden's like when, when he plays and, and how he is integrated back into the rotation if and when he does come back. Also been missing Mike Ladd, a Fresno State transfer who, you know, people from, from Seattle, from Rainier Beach, uh, people had real high hopes for and hasn't, um, didn't play all that well. And then he sprained his thumb down there in Anaheim around Thanksgiving and hasn't played since. Um, it's been a real slow healing thing. So I don't know. Going to be interesting to see how, how Ken Bone works some of these guys in, but the, the front line, which was thought to be, you know, maybe like a huge, huge, huge issue, um, has turned out to be less so because Modem has provided a lot of good offense, uh, been a reasonably decent defender and rebounder. Um, DJ Shelton, a transfer from a junior college, but also played for a year out at, uh, 
out at uh, Cal State Fullerton, or actually redshirted for a year out at Cal State Fullerton. Um, he's been pretty good. He's about six nine, you know, bouncy uh, forward. And then Charlie Anquist, a one-time walk-on who earned a scholarship a couple years ago, um, is actually the Cougars' most efficient player, if you can believe that. And Cougar fans are like. What? You know, uh, but he, you know, he had a double double last week against, uh, I'm trying to remember against who, but he had a double double last week, um, had, had another uh, double digit rebounding game against, uh, Santa Clara, um, has played really, really well. And he's, he's kind of your proverbial high, hardworking, slow, tall white guy, but, uh, he's put on some muscle. And the reality is that it's not like the conference is loaded with big men. So, um, the Cougars have, have made a little bit of a push. They've jumped about 60 or 50 spots in Ken Pomeroy's rankings over their last two games. Uh, big decisive wins over Eastern and, uh, over Eastern and Santa Clara. Eastern was where Inquist had the double double. Um, yeah, they, you know, the Cougars, if, if their front line keeps playing like this, they really, I think, could be kind of a legitimate top half of the conference team because, well, who else we'll is see there? what happens to their front line when they have to play, you know, teams with front lines. Sure, yeah. but, but who is that? That's, that's UCLA. Well, good point. That's UCLA and that's, UCLA, right? Yeah, I guess <laughs> you know? so. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, there's not really anybody with the front line at all. So maybe they'll, they'll, they won't be that big of an issue, which I think we sort of talked about at the start of the year. Now UCLA, their vaunted front line, really, they don't really have a front line anymore, actually. I mean, it's Josh Smith, who only plays 12 minutes a game because he's so out of shape and he fouls everybody. Sure. So, you know, with Nelson out, then there yeah. really there isn't, I mean, they have those two wear guys, but they're really just tall, slow wings, so. Yeah, and obviously um, Stan- what's, Stanford will throw a bunch of big guys. Stanford, that's true. Stanford's Stanford, good. Uh, Two things I want to mention before we go. Yeah. One, yep. that that DJ Sheldon is the nephew of Lonnie Sheldon. He is. So that makes two members of nephews of 79 championship Sonics playing in the Pac-10, uh, in addition to Sean Kemp Jr., who was not a nephew of anybody that I know of. Um, Oregon, <laughs> I should mention, we should mention about Oregon that uh, they have this dude, DeVoe Joseph, who transferred from Minnesota, who just got eligible. Yes. He played uh, and was the star- leading scorer of their win, their first the first win, Fresno State, and won to score a bunch of points. And then last night, Oregon had kind of an unexpectedly tough game with Portland State, and he ended up scoring the last nine points. He's coming off the bench right now, but he's played more minutes than anybody else, and he appears to be their best Guard, so he's he's going to make a big difference for them in Pac-10 play, and it's something that's not kind of reflected in what they've been doing, uh, what they've been doing so far. Which means Brett Kingma of Jackson High School in uh, Mill Creek, Washington, is now um, going to be mostly riding the pine, which sad for Snohomish County people, but um, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, but probably better news for Oregon. Yeah, it's um, they needed that <laughs> after they've got after, a jillion transfers, and you know I, who knows whether that'll come together. But yeah, they definitely did need another score, especially well, with. Yeah, go ahead. Well, what I, I can't remember the guy's name anymore that transferred. Yeah, it's uh, so they lose Jabari Brown and two guys. You know, yeah, so it's, something or other. Yeah. yeah, so you know, it's 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 interesting to me the way that they've utilized transfers. Um, you know, I guess that must be something that you know. One of the things that struck me when I did, uh, you know, we'll wrap up with this is when I did the college basketball prospectus previews for the Mountain West and for the WAC. Um, 
I, I really – I had never written any kind of extensive anything on mid-majors and so I, I you know, I, I'd always been used to, to writing about major conference. When you when you write major conference previews, you just like, okay, who's returning? Who did they recruit? And, and that's pretty much it. Right. Well, mid-majors, you know, I, I had no idea how much – transferring goes on between yeah. mid-majors. And I was – it was actually shocking. You know, guys coming coming down from BCS conferences, um, junior college transfers, guys transferring between teams, you know, um, leaving to go to bigger conferences. I mean, you just it, – it's, it's just wild how many guys come and go. Uh, and I never, never realized it. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that's a little bit of what, you know, Altman has been doing. I guess, you know, he just sort of – saw a need for infusing some talent and, you know, picked up some transfers here and there. And, um, you know, they, they just, that's something that, that you have a lot of success with at mid majors. I don't, it's going to be interesting to see how much success you can have with that at the major level. Although it seems to be kind of increasingly prevalent. I mean, USC obviously has had, had some success uh, last year with, with transfers with, well, you wonder if he, guys, so. and then you look at the other hand, UCLA, which could have desperately needed a transfer for the last, however many, I mean, they did get Lazarus Jones who transferred and played yeah. point and, guard, but they could have desperately used another guard and, and the Ware twins. That's true. That's right. But true. they could have used a guard. You're right. But they could have used a guard and they didn't get it. You wonder if there's some sort of like, and there has to be some sort of network of, of who lets you know about these transfers or who connects you with these transfers or, you know, there's got to be some sort of underground something that we know nothing about that maybe a coach like Altman, who has been in a mid-major for so long, maybe he's more clued into that. Um, you know, and I can just imagine the pressure at Oregon being to, you know, we, you know, we want you to win. I, I don't know if it, if it divides up your time as a coach, if you're trying to get transfers, it makes it harder for you to, tr- to recruit, you know, uh, real freshmen or, you know, real high school seniors, but I can imagine there being a lot of pressure on, especially with the new arena or whatever on Altman, like, Hey, get some guys in here. Let's be decent. And then at the same time, and okay, we can build up. Cause they had so many guys leave. They had spots. I would think you could tell a guy, Hey, you're a junior or a senior. Like you're going to play for two years and at Oregon, which probably is pretty fun. Yeah, I would, I would think so. So, all right. Well, Hey, conference play two weeks away. Woohoo! Uh, yeah, looking forward to that and getting the new year kicked off that way. So I'm I'm excited. We'll uh, catch a few games this weekend, and we'll be we'll be back at you next week. Thanks a lot for joining us on 18 Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. For Seth Cole and I'm Jeff Newser, and our unheard producer Jeff Collier. Thanks a lot for joining us. We will talk to you next week.